You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn, joined today by Suhas Sridhar. Hi, Suhas. How are you? Hey, Matt. How's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So let's talk about that. We've spent a lot of time looking back at 2016, but it is a new year, 2017, and it's time to kind of maybe come up with some predictions for what's ahead. Those of you in the audience, I'm sure, are accustomed to seeing and hearing lots of stories about very big and exciting new technologies, the spider robots on Mars, the fully automated driverless cars. Big movements in technology are things that people get excited about or tend to get excited about whenever the calendar year turns over. I mean, I think, you know, it's like anything. We have hope for what's ahead and we're excited for the future. But often what gets understated, I guess, would be the right way to say it, is the movement or the evolution of the technology that we have right now or the changes in our business ecosystems that are taking place right now that will continue to move forward in the year that will really drive big change in further years down the road. Would you consider that to be something that is missed often, Suhas? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of trends that we start to talk about, and we always talk about the kind of most high-profile dream vision of those trends, but technology usually just moves in small incremental steps. And I think there's some exciting things on the horizon in 2017 as far as supply chain technology goes. What's actually kind of interesting is that if we talk about supply chains in terms of different industries, fashion and apparel has always been one of those areas that gets a lot of attention because all of us wear clothes, all of us are kind of in some ways up to date on fashion trends. And we see, you know, even if we don't personally wear the latest thing, we see those things around. And what's kind of interesting, though, to me is that I think in 2017, a lot of the movements that have happened technology-wise in the supply chain in fashion are also applicable to other industries like consumer goods and high tech. So, you know, for me, I've noticed kind of maybe five key areas that I think we can talk about as far as things to look out for in the fashion and apparel supply chain in 2017, but also just in supply chain in general, as far as technology goes. All right, great. And we won't dig up any of those old polyester shirts sitting in my closet. I know it's <laughs> going to come back eventually. But let's talk about are coming back. <laughs> That's right, man. I got some flannel. <laughs> let's go into some of those themes, though. The um, uh, maybe less embarrassing things that we can talk about that are driving us forward. You said that there are five things that you're watching out for. What would those be? Yeah, so the first thing is actually, it's related to sustainable production, but it's not just kind of sustainability as we've talked about it in the last few years where companies are focused on audits and inspections. I think this year we'll actually start to see a lot of supply chain analytics tied to sustainability. So I think that's something that we can get into, but it's an exciting area. The second one is the idea of exclusivity as a market differentiator. So globalization has basically enabled customers to buy goods from anywhere in the world, from any retailer, from any store. And so in order for stores to stay profitable, they actually need to have something of an incentive. Like, why would you shop at this place versus this other place if you're going to have the same product available? So you're going to probably see a huge trend in exclusivity becoming the dominant factor for companies to differentiate themselves. The third element is fulfillment, and we've kind of seen this. It's kind of appropriate that we've, we're have we coming off of the holiday season where the rush to get 
goods delivered by the holidays is always in the news. And I think you're going to see fulfillment becoming an important area of discussion even outside of major holiday seasons. It's the way that one company will be able to compete with another is to offer seamless fulfillment experiences. The fourth area is localization. And I know that as we head into this new year, protectionism and sort of isolationism and a retreat from globalization is in the news politically everywhere. And I think the impact of that on different industries in the supply chain will be huge. It's hard to say exactly, you know, the amounts that it'll impact as far as trade volumes and things like that. But I think you'll start to see an increasing pressure to manufacture and distribute locally. So that'll be an interesting topic. And then the fifth one is automation. I think automation is going to play a huge role in manufacturing and production and, you know, not just in areas that are sort of, you know, your typical heavy industrial equipment kind of areas, but also in sort of non-traditional places for automation like apparel. I think you'll start to see that as well. So, you know, we can get into some of these things, but I think that 2017 will offer a lot. Great. And I think that it does pick up on a few really interesting trends. So let's dive in a little bit. Now, sustainability, that's been something that we've talked about recently, either in and found some really interesting data, either in a recent report and study on millennial shoppers in looking at brands like Puma or Levi's that build sustainable practices into their supply chain financing programs. And this is greater need for transparency into how things are made and where they come from as a competitive differentiator when it comes to products that people want to buy, especially when it comes to clothes, where people do care about things like slave labor or you know ethical cotton or things like that. But you're talking about something a little bit different, right? We're getting into actual analytics and data to understand the sustainability. Is that what I uh, am picking up on? Yeah. So it's good that you mentioned those shopping trends because to me, it's indicative of a fact that sustainability in the supply chain isn't something that's a luxury anymore. Customers are actually using sustainability as something that they weigh in to actually purchase from one brand versus another. So a company basically needs to be able to ensure that it has a sustainable supply chain and it needs to be able to actually communicate the details of that to its customer base. Now, in the past, companies tried to achieve sustainability through audits, inspections, a lot of documentation. I think that there's been a lot of discussion over the fact that those, while important, aren't entirely effective in terms of covering all the bases. So here's where I think technology is going to start to play a huge role. Companies that want to go sustainable are going to start to implement analytics and data to try to ensure that their supply chains are sustainable. Now, what does that mean? I think the first thing is that it starts with supply chain visibility. So a lot of the issues related to ethical labor and carbon footprint have to do with the fact that there is a huge chain of custody among different materials from you know the actual materials producers to the you know, second tier manufacturers to the actual manufacturers and then distributors and often there isn't visibility between all of those partners so knowing who is doing what knowing the actual factories and what their environmental footprint is uh, historically there hasn't been a way to actually trace the production of a good through all of those different areas so i think once companies start to implement supply chain visibility and 
with a focus on some environmental analytics, you're going to see a huge change in that. You're going to at least be able to trace for each product what the environmental impact is going to be. So I think that's an exciting area because for the first time, you're combining technology and sustainability in a way that ties together all of the operations in the supply chain. And what stands out to me is that you really do need to have a view of a lot more depth, I guess, in the view of your supply chain. You can't just say you're sustainable and do one or two things to save a little water or energy or you know, cut out some of the waste in your supply chain. There seems to be more to it, and you really have to know what your suppliers are doing and their suppliers and you know, several layers deep. So that would seem to me to be an offshoot or a benefit that you gain from just simply having better visibility into the supply chain itself and connecting all those disparate pieces. Yeah, customers want to see it. You have to be able to prove it to the customers that your that your clothes or or whatever you're producing is sustainable. And the only way to do that, honestly, is data. That's the only proof. So companies are going to have to move in that direction. And I think 2017 will be interesting because a lot of companies are starting to get on board with the idea of supply chain visibility and analytics. And I think sustainability is just going to become a part of that. Very interesting. So it's time to start showing your work. Okay, let's get into a couple of these other points then. Exclusivity and fulfillment. Now, I know that you kind of mentioned those as two separate points. I want to lump them together a little bit because in my mind, it's one thing to have an exclusive product, say, you know, the latest Nike Air Jordan release that's only being sold at your chain of stores. But it's another thing to actually get those to the stores and have them there on time and to be able to have that product available, not just in your storefronts, but also online and through your mobile channels that you're seeing a lot of fashion and apparel brands kind of turn the lights on with as well, right? Would that be fair to say that those in a way end up going hand in hand, even though, you know, they are two different pieces of the supply chain? Yeah, I think you raise a really great point, because if you think about a phrase that's actually starting to become quite prominent, it's the idea of mass customization. And I think mass customization is the heart of tying together exclusivity and fulfillment, because if a store that's just sort of, let's say, an independent mom and pop store is having an exclusive run of Nikes, and at the same time, non-exclusive versions of those need to be produced and sold to wholesalers elsewhere. Nike can't really set up an entirely separate supply chain for this exclusive thing versus the non-exclusive thing. There needs to be flexibility so that they can alternate you know, how many they produce that are exclusive and maybe switch up the different channels that their shoes are sold through. So the idea is that while on the customer side, certain stores are going to have to have exclusivity to differentiate themselves, on the supply chain side, you need to have an infrastructure that's able to rapidly deliver exclusivity for some and bulk for others and maybe change up you know, the channels that they're sold on periodically over time. And so that really requires this kind of supply chain that's designed around the idea of mass customization. All right. So that's a big challenge. And, you know, a big fashion or apparel maker, like say a Nike, to take our example, they don't make money on just doing a very limited run, but by making exclusive versions of those runs. So to your point, having mass customization to be able to do bulk shipments and do some of those specialized things, to me, that really calls for a deeper level of orchestration in the supply chain where you really have to 
not only make sure that you're giving your customers, and this being, say, the retailers, a product that is exclusively theirs and that will move people indoors, but an experience that can be then widely replicated to serve different needs or different markets or these different designs of a similar product. Now, can I ask you something from a customer perspective? Sure. As far as exclusivity goes, let's say that you were interested in buying one of these customized products, right? But you had to wait a long time to get it, or there wasn't an easy way for you to actually get the order once you've expressed some interest in it. Or let's say, for instance, you get it and then it's the wrong size and you need to be able to exchange it or return it. If a company doesn't give you that flexibility of you know, delivery and returns, you're probably not going to be satisfied as a customer, right? Absolutely not, right? And that really kind of cheapens or ruins that experience where at the front end, you're making me feel special as a customer, giving me this access to this exclusive or this new product that I can only get through a certain channel or through a certain store that isn't made in huge quantities. Like that feels great, but say it's the wrong size or there's a defect in it. Yes, it is just as important for me to be able to get that item and be one of the first people to have it, of course, but to also make sure I can exchange it and get it back, get back a uh, non-broken or non-defective item that works for me very quickly. I want everything to be seamless, I guess. At least that's what my expectation is becoming on the customer end. Right. I think that kind of speaks to your point that these two things are going to be tied together. And I think you're going to see a lot more companies emphasizing this in 2017 as both the demand for exclusivity goes up as well as the kind of technology around fulfillment improves so that they can be tied together. It's sort of related to the idea of exclusivity or sort of like mass customization. I think there's this other trend that is happening simultaneously, which is the idea of localization in production. There's uh, certainly on the on the demand side, I think we've seen in the last I don't know, five to 10 years that a lot of customers, millennials especially, want to buy local. And I think that's a general trend. But I think now you're also starting to see on a larger political level, sort of retreat from globalization and a desire to manufacture goods closer to where they're going to be consumed domestically. And I'm kind of curious, Matt, with your thoughts on how that's going to shape the actual supply chain going forward this year. Yeah, that's an interesting one, because we just got through an election season where everything was really highly contested and it was pretty divisive. But one thing that there seemed to be consensus on was this movement toward that protectionism that you mentioned, that it's time to, say, bring back jobs or to express a desire to bring back balance with the making and distributing and selling of goods within a country's borders. And not just, you know, in the U.S., but we've heard that trend happen in other countries as well. I find it fascinating because I think that it also speaks back to your earlier point around the sustainability. While this isn't a sustainable story, making goods closer to home or nearshoring or reshoring or anything like that, it does certainly call for a lot more traceability in the supply chain. People do want to know that the factories are local or that the raw materials are sourced from somewhere nearby or they want to have better details on you know who the farmer is that grew the cotton or what mill took that cotton and turned it into cloth so to speak and it's you know while that 
isn't a politicized story. I find it fascinating that these trends do kind of have this interconnectedness to it as an offshoot of some of the bigger macro things that are happening in the world as well. Yeah, and I think in order for companies to balance that sort of juggling act of being able to relocate factories potentially or be able to find the origins of a specific material, I think they're going to have to use a lot of data to juggle and optimize some of those operations because it's not going to be easy. It's going to be one of those things that is on a company-by-company basis as far as what makes the most sense to them, both in terms of the actual production and as far as regulations and customs and all of that stuff goes. So I think that'll be actually a pretty tricky thing for a lot of companies to manage. And again, I think data is going to be the key to being able to do that successfully and profitably. Right. And and just not data for the sake of data, but having very good data that brings in all these different nodes and all these different sources of production or or of materials as well, I think it would speak to having more more unification of your view on your supply chain. That's a big challenge, though. I mean, it's one thing if you're a small t-shirt maker, but if you're doing things in volume, like you know, some of these very large global clothing makers out there, that that's a huge challenge. I think some of it just simply speaks to you know, the idea that traceability is important, and not just in certain manufacturing things like food or drugs, but really everywhere. People want a little bit more insight across. So... The fifth point here, I think, would actually somewhat help out companies who are trying to resource production to local and regional areas, and that's automation. So automation can help defray the costs of bringing production back domestically. Maybe not entirely offset globalization's advantages, but it can certainly ameliorate a lot of the effects. And you're starting to see robotics and, you know, factory automation become really tangible and produce some interesting results. Last year, Adidas announced its Speed Factory, which is a fully automated robotic factory that produces shoes. And they announced plans that they're going to actually set one up in the U.S. in Atlanta this year in 2017. And while initially these shoes produced by these robots were like kind of a very small percentage of the overall Adidas production, I think you're going to start to see as the technology proves itself, a greater and greater percentage becoming produced by robots and entirely automated. And I think that'll that'll actually be something that is going to tie into a lot of the overall automation that you see, the high profile self-driving cars and all of that. I think robotics has just taken on a whole new life thanks to just improvements and big data. And I think the way that these factories that are completely robotically controlled interface with the supply chain will be the next area of automation. So once you start to have a robotic factory that can produce shoes, for instance, automatically tying that into the supply chain where it'll automatically get demand signals or, you know, an order coming in and on its own completely start automating production, I think that might not be quite there in 2017, but you're going to start to maybe see pilots of things like that as the year goes on. But that's amazing because that's one of those sorts of visionary predictions that maybe five or 10 years ago would have sounded a lot more like science fiction. The fact that Adidas is going to have this factory here in the US that's going to need very few workers 
theoretically, that'll be using things like robots or like 3D printing or other very advanced technologies to take an order and turn it into a product that you know, is tied to the individual who wants to buy it and do it quickly and get it out, you know, out the door within a very short time frame. That's amazing. You got to just take a step back and think that sounds like the future to me. And the fact that it's starting to happen and that we're starting to see it this year and in the next few, that's pretty exciting. That's a pretty cool thing to think that you can do. Yeah. I think given all of these different trends, it's going to be quite an interesting year to watch. But there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. All right. There you have it, folks. We have five things to watch for in 2017. And just for a quick recap, that's analytics for sustainable production, exclusivity, so market differentiator, the fulfillment experience, but not only fulfillment, but localization and distribution. And then finally, automation experiments turning into reality. I think it's a pretty exciting outlook on the year ahead, especially in the retail and fashion industries. And I think that perhaps we'll start to see these bleed into other areas as well in the not-too-distant future. All right, Suhas, thank you very much for joining me today on Supply Chain Radio. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks for listening. Find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast network. Mm-hmm.